Hey, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm the host of the Technology Leadership Podcast presented by Saligo. I'm joined with my wonderful co-host, Mark Simon, who's the VP of Strategy over here at Saligo, and Ganesh, who is the CTO and co-founder of Atomic, which is a community uh, management and engagement platform. Uh, really excited to have you here, Ganesh. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, John, for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, well, I wanted to start out uh, with a question that to me is, is interesting to ask any technical folks, but more specifically co-founders. Um, Ganesh, could you tell us a little bit about um, not only like your, your own personal story for, for founding a business and, and becoming the technical CTO, um, but also, you know, why Atomic exists? I'll kind of leave that open-ended and we'll go from there. Well, I, I guess it's a, going to be a little long answer. Um, I, I started my career as a software engineer, like mo most of the people that I work with do. Uh, joined Microsoft way back in 2005 and uh, uh, worked primarily for the Skype, Skype business. Uh, did a lot of stuff there. About 11 years, 11, 12 years at Microsoft, I kind of got bored of big companies. So I was thinking um, what I should do next and uh, found this startup called OfferUp. Uh, it's, a, it's a marketplace uh, app and uh, they, were, they were kind of hiring for new roles and I joined OfferUp. Um, I, was, I was a manager, dev manager in uh, Microsoft, but uh, joining a startup as an engineer was another challenge. So, uh, and, and then um, the, the, the funny story I say that is because I work with Microsoft technologies, right from my laptop, everything is Microsoft. And then I go to this offer up startup. Uh, the first day they gave me an Apple laptop and I, I couldn't even figure out where my right click is. Um, so I was that bad. Uh, but I survived. I survived and uh, spent three years there. Uh, and also, I got an opportunity to work in a B2B startup called Ally, uh, which is now acquired by Microsoft. So I joined as a VP of engineering at Ally, and I was uh, I was supposed I was basically responsible for creating a team in India, a dev team in India. So. Did that grew Ally to be about 50, 60 people there uh, in India. And then um, at that time, I was thinking, okay, I worked in a consumer startup like OfferUp and also in a B2B startup like Ally. Uh, so I was kind of itching to start something on my own. Uh, so I quit my job there and uh, started a, a startup uh, with um, with a with a, uh, basically a startup accelerator called Venture Out. Um, did that for a couple of months, didn't go anywhere. Um, and then uh, my ex-colleague from uh, Ally, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Wohm, he reached out to me and he said he's on a similar boat where he quit his job at Ally and he was looking to start something on the revenue operation side. And he said, hey, do you want to join? I said, okay, why not? Uh, and uh, we just did a few things uh, and then quickly raised a seed round based on uh, what we were doing. Uh, so we got some funding, we built a team. Uh, so the product was in the revenue operation space. So we thought, okay, if you have a product, we need people to know about it. And we built a community in Slack called RevOps Co-op. And that's how we started with the Slack community. 
two years fast forward, the product kind of didn't go anywhere. We couldn't get like a product market fit. Um, but the community grew like crazy. Uh, we, without any big efforts from our side, it's now what 8,000 people. And uh, uh, I think tw just before, tw I would say 2022, early, early 2022, uh, we decided to uh, sh stop working on the product side of things and focus on the community side of things and figure out how to build the community in Slack. Um, and that's when we figured uh, doing everything manually, like someone joining a community, you have, you have to go welcome them. Uh, when someone say, uh, says like a, a keyword that we are looking for, uh, we, we got to look at every Slack message and answer them. It was super time consuming. So we started to build Atomic for ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how we got started on Atomic. We said, okay, we need some automation uh, to solve the problems we are facing in uh, scaling this RevOps Corp community. Uh, and we started to build Atomic for that. Uh, and it, wor it worked very well. And we started talking about it with some of the other people on the community side. And that's when we realized some of the problems we are facing they were also similar to other people facing them who are starting their community. So we basically created a product out of what we are doing, uh, the automation that we built. And uh, uh, right now it is, uh, it's, it's essentially like a think of it as a workflow automation uh, for your community. Atomic is uh, essentially automating some of the workflows you would do um, if you have a community in Slack. Uh, and uh, and uh, we are we are adding more and more features based on uh, what we are what we are feeling and also what our customers are saying. That's so awesome. I'm sorry, that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. Go ahead, Mark. Sorry, Ganesh. It's really interesting, and um, you know, br bringing that automation to that space now is it really focused on that. You you kind of mentioned some of those those first steps like that that onboarding of a community member, but but how far does it go? How far does the automation go? Do you get into moderation, et cetera? Where's, you know, wh where does it fit in kind of that whole that whole life cycle? Yeah, uh, I, I think it, it does go into th things beyond just uh, welcoming on onboarding. So, so I'll tell you a couple of places where we are using ourselves. Uh, one is uh, where uh, I think you brought up moderation. So we have like a emoji-based moderation control where if someone says uh, picks an emoji, if enough people uh, click on that emoji for a message, uh, then it gets moderated based on what the community manager wants. Uh, we also have sequences where uh, our own community works with partners. So we have RevOps Corp has partners where uh, they they basically plan events around what's happening in the community. So we have this called something called topics. So we look for what people are discussing in the community and figure out what events we should create for our partners. So for example, if someone is talking more about lead generation, we create a, like a call it a keyword tracker for those words. And if if it crosses a threshold, we we work with our partners to uh, let them know and, and create an event around uh, lead generation. 
Um, yeah, I, I think uh, some of those workflows. And one other thing that we are doing is also uh, one of one of the things we like with eight thousand people. We don't know who's who's um, uh, expertise who is expert in certain areas. Mm -hmm. So if someone asks a questions and there's no answer, we want to engage the community. Um, so we want to know more about our own members. Uh, what Atomic does is, is a feature called tagging, where if let's say you mentioned something about sales compensation, you can automatically tag Mark with, hey, he knows about sales mm -hmm. co compensation and keep tagging them. So when you want to find a list of people uh, that are experts in a certain area, you get that list automatically from the app. Oh, got it. So, so it sounds like you're actually auto your 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 tool Atomic is actually automatically tagging a a poster based on the content they're doing. You're matching that up. So, so that's all based on what what content is, you know, not not what a poster says they know, but actually what what they know is proven by what they posted. Exactly, exactly, um, and, uh, and and this cool. this helps us in a lot of things like one in creating more engagement two if we are planning an event we want to know who to invite to uh and so i mean you mentioned seattle area you're, you're from seattle area so if uh, in most of the interaction we see that people mention where they are from and atomic automatically picks up their location and if someone if you are planning an event in say los angeles we can just look up who's in los angeles and go invite them so I have a question, Ganesh. Um, this tool sounds like you're about to be purchased by Reddit, um, which is a good thing because, and when I say that, I'm, I was being a little facetious, but it, it seems like places where communities thrive, Reddit, I know you guys already are coming out with a, an integration with Discord, which is a huge community place, even Facebook or, or Twitter. It seems like large businesses who have huge communities around them would absolutely kill for a tool like this. And I'm curious if this is something that you're building to, to remain on its own, or is this something that you see like mass widespread adoption from large social communities, whether it's Reddit, Discord, uh, Facebook, what have you, like, how do you, how do you plan on seeing this or not how do you plan, but where do you see atomic growing to, uh, down the line? Yeah. We are still in our early days. Uh, right now, Atomic works only on Slack. Yeah, we are we are thinking about adding to Discord and and maybe a few other places where people are building their communities. Uh, so in terms of growth, um, one one way is to kind of go beyond Slack and uh, look at look at other places. Uh, the other, the, there are a couple of areas we are thinking about uh, our next steps in terms of growth. One is uh, the other other platforms, but we also find that most of the community managers uh, want a monetization model. So one of the things we are looking at is a, how can how can Atomic, because we know all the content in it, um, can we create a monetization model around content? Uh, that helps the community manager. Uh, and, and we're going to start with Slack, but if that works, then as you said, it can go to other platforms. 
Um, then I think chat GPT is something that everyone talks about these days. It, it's like, if you, if you don't have chat GPT, no one even looks at your messages. Uh, but but it's a, uh, it is something that we are experimenting with. So for example, uh, again, we have lots of content in Slack. Uh, so we are experimenting in a way where uh, we are creating like a Q&A bot uh, based on your Slack conversations. If someone asks a question, it can look up your Slack conversations and respond uh, and, and give pointers to the correct conversations. Um, and uh, another one is like, uh, like you, you might know this, but like if you have a community, you want to create this blog post and uh, things that you content around the community for people to know what's happening and also uh, uh, kind of gaining interest. So uh, we are also creating a place where using ChatGPT, how do you create content based on what the conversations happening in Slack? Um, so if you if you kind of kind of look beyond what we are doing today, one of the things we do have is the content that is in the community, and uh, we are figuring out how can we use this content in a way that helps community manager monetize this content. Interesting. That's really cool. I, I'm wondering if, if I, I mean, letting the moderator monetize it seems like a, a great path to go down. I'm wondering if you eventually see monetization for the actual like members of the community. For example, if someone becomes, uh, let's say they're the API expert of the group uh, and, you know, people always trust them for API questions or things like that. Is there a way that the individual contributors uh, will ever get some kind of pay or or be rewarded or monetized for helping and helping build the community? Mm -hmm. Is that, I wonder if that, cause that's, I don't know, I always see like, you know, there's the, the people on Yelp who go review restaurants and, and all they get is a star by their name. And it's always confusing me because you're going out, spending money, paying for gas, paying for food and all, all you get is a star in return. But it seems like with a really engaged community, you might be able to uh, compensate uh, those who help build. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that point. Um, my co-founder, Matt, was um, asking a very similar question. Is like, uh, okay, you can monetize, you can, you can help monetize uh, community managers. Can you also help monetize uh, members? who are like like experts uh, one of the things that has come up on our side is uh education there are there are experts in the community who who has their own education on certain topics they, they have courses uh and if if we can find a way for them to monetize based on this uh that will be great so it does definitely come up on something uh that we, we are looking into awesome Awesome. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Oh, I, I was going to ask something actually really simple. I was going to zoom out a little bit because, um, you know, we often throw a lot of terms around in technology and business and, and I'm going to use, uh, and I'm, I'm going I'm to home in on, on RevOps here. And that's something that I think, you know, five, five years ago was maybe the first time RevOps kind of got that term got on my radar as being like, okay, what's this? And, um, working in a software company, you get exposed to this and the, and the lingo that's going around. But thinking about uh, 
you know, the more general business community, how would you describe RevOps being a newer business term over the last few years? How would you describe someone that's that's out there in the in the business community or a technologist isn't really familiar with that means? Just to kind of put put a put sort of you know clarification and boundaries or you know what is RevOps? What isn't? And maybe it's what isn't RevOps? Uh, how would you describe that, Ganesh? Yeah, RevOps yeah, stands for Revenue Operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so traditionally, uh, B2B companies have three main go-to-market teams. Uh, one is sales, the other is marketing, and uh, the customer success. Sales and marketing, they uh, marketing focuses on brand new customers. Uh, customer success focus on uh people who renew like uh, renewals and sales does a bit of both uh and uh, what what was happening is that these three teams had slightly different goals and uh as a b2b company the marketing will be focused on marketing and give a give like bunch of leads to sales for follow up uh but if those lead quality is not great, marketing will claim, oh, we we got so, so many leads, uh, but but the sales couldn't convert, but the sales team would be saying, oh, the leads quality was not great. So it, there are so many back and forths like that, uh, which caused the company's um, uh, growth to be like, it, it slowed down the whole thing. Uh, because of that, there was a need for someone who oversees all three things, not necessarily managing them. It's not a, it's not a managerial role, uh, but someone who has an understanding of all three areas uh, and focused on revenue, whether it is new, new business or renewables. Uh, so that was the focus of uh, Reven, RevOps manager. And that's how the, the role got formed. Uh, and quickly, the, the it kind of, I mean, when we started our, our own RevOps co-op, that's still, it was still rather new. But once once it got success in a few B2B companies, mm-hmm. the, it just got picked up by all other B2B companies. Now, most of the companies um, have a RevOps manager. Yeah. They have a RevOps team and uh, mm-hmm. uh, RevOps manager is the first role they hire to, and then they have uh, other roles in the team as well. Uh, thank you, Ganesh. I, I, I appreciate that because I think we've got some listeners that be like, okay, yeah, they hear the term, but they're like, what, what really is that? Um, you know, I, and how is that different? But how would you describe when then what's the difference between say sales ops and and rev ops? Where 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 do those do, do they have overlap? Um, how do those interrelate between each other? Yeah, uh, actually, one of the things that you'll see is uh, if you go look at. Uh, someone who is a RevOps manager, and if you look look at things that they did before, uh, most of them come from a sales ops background or a marketing ops background. Yeah. Um, so, say the, the biggest difference between sales ops and RevOps is for sales ops, they they focus on tools like um, Salesforce, any anything that it comes in the sales ambit, uh, like Salesforce, HubSpot. Uh, a few other things on the sales side. Um, but RevOps, since they go across, 
they have to not only focus on, say, for example, Salesforce, but they also have to figure out, uh, tie it back to the uh, subscription. Maybe if it's a subscription business, they have to tie it back to Zora or, or Chargebee or whatever, subscribe, wherever they're maintaining subscriptions. And they also have to tie it back to the product to see what's the product usage. Uh, so if a customer coming from, so let's say we have a lead from a particular uh, channel coming through the web and how how soon do they become a customer what what is their average product usage what's their average uh, uh, average uh, product usage and tied back to the lifetime value of that customer so they have to kind of go across uh, so they work with sales ops people to get the data that they need and the and the automations they need, but they also have to work with customer CS and the marketing. Sounds like a very challenging role. And I just want to be clear and clear the air. Saligo has never, our marketing team has never provided a low quality lead to sales. It's never happened. Wow. <laughs> I probably you, you, you don't need a RevOps manager. <laughs> nah. <laughs> um, very, very, very critical clarification there, Jordan. <laughs> yes. If, Jan, if you're listening. Um, no, so so I have a question. I've been in the API business for for quite a while. I worked at a few companies that deal with APIs, um, and something I, I'm not technical, so you know probably both of you guys can uh, answer this question. But the thing that I always hear, especially from a marketing or sales side of things, is building integrations is incredibly challenging. It's not only challenging to build it, um, but also to maintain it. Um, and I, I'm looking at the integrations page on on atomic.com if you're listening check it out um and the it, it, there's a lot of coming soon and i'm, I'm wondering in maybe both your experiences ganesh as, as a builder and mark as a leader how much of a pain is building and maintaining integrations and why i think some of our listeners might be interested in that yeah uh well uh, i i also come from an api background in the skype team i was responsible for creating the api to interact with skype um so i do know uh a little bit about about building and maintaining an uh integration just just the authentication part of it is is, is a pain <laughs> and then um every time there is an api change you got to keep up with it uh, and uh, keep changing the code. Uh, so it is it is difficult. Uh, and there are there are some products in the market that claim to solve this. Um, I haven't I haven't played with them a lot, but but um, but building an integration, maintaining it is a is a challenging uh, challenging uh, thing. So we internally have a few integrations. Um, one of the things that I notice is that if it's a mature platform, the integration maintenance is a little on the lower side. If it's not a mature platform, uh, you do have to spend a lot of time to, to uh, maintain it. Um, I, I, and and uh, they, most of them have like a API limits, uh, the rate limits and other things. So everything will be different. So if 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 you start out building integrations keep all those all of those things in mind and uh, create create an architecture where uh, it is easy to maintain is what i would suggest awesome mark on your end what would you what would you well, well actually i have a follow up question for ganesh you mentioned the 
um, it's it's uh, you know the maturity there has a big impact. You're referring to the maturity of the API you're you're connecting to, right? Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So so if you're connecting to an a API that's less mature, it's relatively new for that that product, then you're expecting that you're it's it's going to evolve more rapidly, and thus there's going to be more changes, potentially breaking changes, etc. Versus using a really well established API that's maybe been around for several years, it's it's not going to very unlikely that 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 company is going to be making breaking changes to their API because they've got maybe thousands of customers using it, right? So that yeah, true, true. And one other thing that I see with little bit mature APIs is they also offer like an SDK in different languages. Mm -hmm. um, so you're you're you don't have to write uh, a lot of code. Are to create those SDKs, um, so you can like you can just use them. Interesting. Well, thank you. That that definitely helps clarify. Um, and yeah, that's sorry. I just I just I always like to get people's perspective on on integrations and API in particular. Um, go ahead, Mark. It looked like you're. Uh, yeah, and, and so the, back to the question. The the question you were asking me, Jordan. Yeah. Um. I, get, what um what was the what was the question again? Just, just like why is building and maintaining uh, integrations such a pain? And I, and you know, you're in a, in a strong leadership position at Sligo. You've probably heard this from a whole bunch of customers. And so I, I wanted to get the technical side of things from Ganesh, but maybe I don't know, just just your side of things for, for you know, it, this is essentially asking why does Sligo exist? Yeah, and. And it's a great question because this this really gets to the heart of a lot of misconceptions around integration, I think. Um, and I've seen this, obviously, I've seen it from the, the Saligo side across uh, several thousand customers, uh, but I've also seen it, you know, having a PS practice, building integration, so building it for, for clients. And then on the other side, actually, you know, building them internally, you know, as, as a critical part of operations. So there's, it's kind of, you end up sort of viewing, coming into it with a different perspective, depending on which, which one of those, those roles you have. And, you know, the really where I've kind of landed and how I really try to describe to, to, to people, particularly like customers that are new to it is to, is to think about, you know, the integration and automation is something that comes at, at the end of a lot of work. It's essentially like building a house in a way. And it, it, you have to have a solid foundation for a house. And, and one of those foundations is, is solid business processes. Do you have a good understanding of your business processes? Are they, are they solid? How mature are they? We, we know businesses need to change and, and they're, and change, be more accommodating to change due to, you know, an ever more dynamic world. Um, so, but you, but you really need to know what your processes are and have those at least a solid understanding of those. And then on top of that, you've got your systems that you're connecting. Have you actually implemented your systems? Are they are they right? Do you have a good understanding of and that's the, you know, the Ganesh, that's you mentioned, you know, challenges using nascent uh, APIs, right? That's that's part and parcel. That's the that's the interface to an endpoint. And if that's not mature, you're gonna you're gonna struggle with it. But all these things stack up and then on top of it, you get to build your integrations. And but one of the things I've I've seen really repeatedly is that oftentimes the, the integration really acts as the early warning system for business or for these processes that you're automating. So it shows up, you know, problem shows up in the integration. Oh, 
if there's a problem, something's broken the, the contract. You get errors there because the contracts have been broken. And then you've got to go back and figure out, oh, do we have, is it a change management issue? Did the business process change? Did it slip in? Did it, did, did an endpoint get modified without us, without someone assessing the impact on, on the integration and the automation? And so it, it automating tends to, to automate successfully really lifts up the operational rigor of whatever group it may be, whether it's a company automating internally or whether you're a software company now and you're automating to your product into other solutions, it always tends to kind of force upward your, your operational diligence, so to speak, um, and, and kind of forces a maturity. And sometimes companies are ready for that and sometimes they're not. And it kind of comes in, they have to get dragged into there. Um, but, but that's generally kind of the big, one of the, one of the most challenging things around integration I see in growing organizations, whether they're you know either side, you know whether the, the, a product company or a, a company using it internally. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a it's a great perspective from both of you. Just because, again, as not a technical person, uh, you know, I know a lot about APIs. I've dealt with them for a long time. But to hear kind of the uh, the nuanced perspective is is super helpful to probably myself and uh, I'm assuming hopefully the listeners if, if they've made it this far. So thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, well, let's uh, let's change gears. I want to uh, switch it up. Um, something that I like to do during these uh, podcasts, Ganesh, is uh, Mark has probably heard me say this a million times, um, but I like to make uh, C-level, VP-level founder folks um, seem human. I think a lot of times uh, they're kind of viewed as this, you know, higher power that you know they're they're not real people. They're you know robotic, and you've got to change the oil on them every five thousand miles, and, and you know they're kind of robots essentially. In doing this podcast, the thing that I've learned with talking to so many um, senior folks is, uh, you know, I kind of already knew it, but you guys are real people. You have life outside of work. You have families. You have hobbies, passions, interests. Um, completely outside of work, Ganesh, what do you what do you like to do? What are you interested in learning about? What do you how do you have fun? How do you blow off steam? Yeah, um, for me, it's uh, hiking and a little bit of mountaineering. Um, so I, Seattle area is just uh, spoiled for uh, hiking places. Uh, if you go out, like drive for 15 minutes, you, you get into this I-90 corridor where you have mountain after mountain that you can just go hike on. Um, and uh, recently, last year, I climbed uh, all the way up to Mount Rainier uh, to the top. Wow. Uh, and uh, a year before that, I went to Kilimanjaro. So I've, I've been uh, keeping myself busy outside of work uh, with uh, hiking. That's that's the most uh, that's where my most of my time goes outside of work. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really good to hear. And Ganesh, we have something in common. We both uh, went to Kilimanjaro. I did not nice. even try climbing it, but I did go to it. <laughs> I saw. It. I've, um, and and I think something that you'll it's... probably you'll you'll find in common is Mark is a huge outdoorsman, if you will. Uh, a lot of hiking, biking, and skiing. Is that correct, Mark? Yes, and I've done a lot of mountaineering and climbing as well um, on several continents, but never in Africa. So that is uh, that has eluded me. So, um, I, yeah, I, I'll have to we'll have to compare notes sometime, Ganesh. I, I, Kilimanjaro is on my my list of things I'd love to I, I, I'd love to to climb. So um, definitely. So, so I think we're all climbing Mount Kilimanjaro like next year is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll, I'll book I'll book us a hotel. 
So Ganesh, I, you were you were telling your story about the beginning of, of your your path that you took uh, to becoming a, a CTO and, and co-founder of, of Atomic. And and you mentioned you know like a lot of people you started out as a as a software engineer, and it made me think about something having having started my career in, in a similar fashion uh, as a software engineer, and having having worked with a lot of young software engineers, people right out of school starting their careers, and always interesting to see their their different ambitions and and it, with with. Several of them would say, "Hey, I want to, I want to co-found, I want to found something. I want to be a founder. I want to be a CTO someday." And having gone through that journey, I, I want to know what were, you, what would, what are your your words of wisdom? What advice would you give somebody that's that's coming from that kind of technical background and wants to be a founder and a and a CTO someday? Oh, I, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer the question, but I'll give you my perspective <laughs> either way. I, I think I think you're more qualified than just about anybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me see. So for me, uh, it was more like a, a, a path where uh, it's a little bit. I played it safely, I would say. Uh, so if you think about it, I've worked a few years, more than a few years at Microsoft. Um, so financially, I was I was okay. Even if I if I don't get any money in in the uh, in the companies that we we work on, it's not a big deal for me. My wife is working, so we have something coming on. So on the finances side, I was okay. And then I also did work in a couple of startups before some trying out something. Uh, so I kind of knew what happens in like a little bit stage uh, like a later stage startup like offer up and also early stage startup like ally um, so i had that background i knew what to expect when i started this when i when i started with matt uh, what to expect in a startup goes through ups and downs so, so for example we had to completely shut off the product that we built let go of the, all the engineers we had i was it was it was not like something brand new uh, but there are also I've seen many people who have started out straight out of college or work a little bit and then start start straight out of college. So it has, it has its pros and cons. And uh, I feel like if like you, you will know if you want to start something, uh, you will know uh, there will be like uh, something that tells you and you should give it a try. Um, if I have to change something, I would have done this little earlier in my career uh, and uh, even if it whether it worked out or not I would have tried this early in my career so if you're watching this and if you think you're even like you, you want to do something like around this go try it out it's okay I mean if it doesn't work out you can always come back to the industry and pick up where you left uh, which, so you should try it out that's a fantastic answer um, and just to kind of corroborate what you're saying, I tried to start a business outside of college and it failed. Um, so that's why I'm here <laughs> being a social media manager. Um, I want to yeah. just piggyback off that, Mark, before we uh, before we keep going. Um, sure. Ganesh, if there are three qualities that a co-founder uh, should embody, whether um, it's a small startup or a big startup or full-fledged company, what are, what are like three qualities that you really, um, you know, you try to try to put forward and, and show your employees every single day? Uh, three qualities. Um, 
I'll, I'll talk about myself being specifically one is I had to unlearn a lot of things coming from a corporate world. Um, so for example, we had to build a product in less than three weeks. Uh, and if I, if I had used all the stuff I learned at Microsoft, I wouldn't have built a product, uh, even in three months. Uh, so I had to kind of figure out, okay, what is a minimum viable product and what's the quickest way to get there. Um, so. So I, I think I think the one of the qualities I would say is uh, figure out where your startup is, what are your business needs is. Uh, if if you're a if you're an engine coming from an engineering background, you know all the engineering stuff, but you need to have a sense of where the business is and build the engineering stuff based on where the business and where it wants to go. So that's number one. Uh, number two is I think it's related to that. Um, look for, uh, look like if you have a problem or you're trying to create a product and there are like, like integrations that you talked about, if, if there is a company like Seligo or some other company, which has already done most of it, use that. Don't, don't try to build everything from scratch. Uh, it's going to slow you down. And, uh, one of the things that. Uh, you'll realize is as as the startup moves, a lot of things that you initially thought will be the will be the killer killer feature probably will not end up being. Uh, so you have you would have to either rewrite it or throw away a lot of code. So don't don't try to spend uh, and build everything by yourself. That's number two, and number three is I think again related to that, which is like be humble. Uh, like uh, the code, like so sometimes when you when you write code and build something, you get attached to that. Uh, but but in a startup, a lot of things change, uh, like almost almost on a daily basis. Uh, so so don't get attached. Be humble in terms of okay, even if something doesn't work out, it's okay and keep moving on uh, and uh, and uh, create new things. That's awesome. Thank you yeah. for that. Um, yeah. Well, well listen, I, I, we're kind of coming up on about half an hour, and I don't want to take up too much time from everybody's day. Um, so I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, but just to all of our listeners, thank you for listening to the Technology Leadership Podcast. Uh, Ganesh, you have been uh, fantastic as a guest. I uh, really appreciate you talking about uh, all things Atomic, all things API. Um, and Mark Simon, my fantastic co-host, thank you as usual for being here. Um, stay tuned, folks. We'll be back in a week or two with a new episode of the podcast, and uh, we'll see you all around. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.